0: CHAPTER SIX Sometime during the third week of Snort's campaign, Hermione received a suspicious glare, coupled with a grunt in reply to a quietly murmured, "'Good afternoon, sir.' Taking the grunt as a positive sign, while completely ignoring the warning of the glare, she practically walked on air for the rest of that day. Even the boys had asked her what she was so bloody cheerful about. Ron's words, of course, though Harry had shared the sentiment, Neville sat propped up against his headboard, several different texts arrayed in a half-circle around him. He was scribbling furiously on a piece of parchment, stopping every so often to lean over one of the open books on the bed. He'd read a few passages, mumble a few disjointed words under his breath, and then return to his writing. A few moments later, with a flourish of his quill, Neville added his last sentence. Sitting back with a stretch, he looked over what he'd written. The essay topic was an examination of the types of cauldrons used in modern potion making and how each metal choice would affect the potion being brewed. Tell me what you think of this, Neville said. Then clearing his throat, Neville began to read aloud. The following will declare the natural principles and procreations of minerals, where first it is to be noted the natural principles of each. All metals and minerals, whereof there are sundry and diverse kinds, could positively or negatively impact the potion they are used to brew. According to the learned alchemical texts, the purity and impurity of the metals used can have drastic changes upon potions. This state of purity and impurity moves in sequence from gold to silver, silver to steel, steel to lead, lead to copper, and finally, copper to iron. It must be noted that when given the choice, most modern alchemical and potion scholars will choose steel cauldrons as the least reactive agent in brewing. However, iron brewing should not be discounted as the natural state of the impurities found within iron cauldrons can be most beneficial when working with potion bases dealing with the humors of the body. Neville stopped and looked up, fixing his eyes on his audience. Do you think it too much? I don't want it to sound too stuffy as an opening paragraph. His immobile audience, propped up against a Gryffindor gold cushion, neither agreed nor disagreed. Neville, not expecting an answering, continued his one-sided dialogue. Any thoughts on the second transition paragraph? I could rework that one a bit to try and smooth it out some. I'm rather proud of the body of the text, though. That book, Hermione, let me on cauldron properties really helped, I think. Neville stuck one hand under the covers and came back out with his ruler. After careful measurements, he looked back up at the Snape doll with a grin. Ooh, little Sev, look at that. I'm actually two inches over the 48-inch requirement limit. I really do think your larger and scarier counterpart will have to give me a passing grade for this one. I'm sure I've covered. "'Hey, Nev, who are you?' "'Dean Thomas stuck his head into the room. "'Talking to in... "'And then trailed off as he caught sight of Neville "'sitting in the room alone. Odd, he muttered. "'I could have sworn I heard you talking to someone.' "'Neville, his heart beating furiously "'from the spiking adrenaline of the near-miss, "'managed to stammer out his hello to Dean. "'What's up, Dean?' "'Oh, we were just getting ready to head down to dinner. "'Just wanted to see if you were ready.' "'Sure, sure.' Just give me a minute to clean up the mess and I'll be right down. Okay. Dean pulled back and let the door to the dorm room close with a quiet snick. Neville put a hand up to his racing heart and took a few deep breaths. Then reaching over, he pulled back the bedspread he'd hastily thrown over the Snape doll when Dean opened the door. Picking up the doll, he smoothed down its rumpled robes and hair. Sorry about that, little Sev, but you couldn't be seen. Wrapping the doll back up in its black covering, Neville carefully stowed it in his book bag few steps from the door, he stopped and reconsidered. It's just paranoia, he said aloud. But nevertheless, Neville retreated to the bag, pulled out the black bundle, and stowed it under his pillow. Satisfied, he headed downstairs. Professor Snape unrolled the scroll a little further, looking for the rest of the essay. He flipped the scroll over, thinking that maybe it had been continued on the backside. Pristine white parchment met his gaze. Turning the scroll back over, He glanced at the name, confirming that it did indeed belong to Miss Hermione Granger. Frowning in confusion, he pulled a wooden ruler from beneath the stack of other scrolls on his desk. With a flick of his wrist, the scroll unrolled at full length. Lining up the ruler, he ticked off each of the assigned three feet, thirty-six inches exactly. Eyes slitted, he sat back in his chair, contemplating the essay before him. He pondered this change for several long minutes, as he rubbed one finger against his bottom lip. Unsure of its meaning. Her handwriting was still the neat, easily readable cursive she'd always used. She had not attempted to squeeze more words into the allotted length. Pulling the ruler to him again, he checked the margins. Exact as always. He scanned back over the scroll, noting her research and notations. She'd written the essay on the uses of unicorn hair and potions with textbook precision. But rereading the document, he realized that she had not done the extra work she'd become infamous for. There were no sidebar discussions on unicorn blood, horn, or history. Miss Granger discussed the topic of the report, and the topic alone. Impossible. Frown deepening into a scowl, he reached to the bottom drawer of his desk to pull out Granger's file. Pulling out his copies of her last few papers, he began rereading them. Her last three papers were all exactly the required length. So roughly a month ago, Miss Granger's essays had changed. What was the significance of that time frame? Thinking back, he couldn't recall anything that should cause such a change. He'd been yelling at her for six years to write only the assignment. Why had she now decided to listen? Did this strange behavior have anything to do with her other strange behaviors of late? More importantly, he thought, as he rubbed at his tired eyes, why the hell had it taken him this long to realize her essays had changed? Severus Snape was not a man who liked mysteries. He learned long ago that mysteries did nothing but cause problems when what they hid was finally revealed. The girl had just officially become a mystery. At what are you playing, Miss Granger? he asked aloud, though there was no one there to answer. Neville, seated on the couch in front of the common room fireplace, was deep into his potions textbook, trying to completely absorb the chapter on topical medications. Little Sev, safely ensconced and hidden from prying eyes, was tucked in the book bag resting at his feet. He'd actually already read the chapter once, but later tonight, he had another class with Professor Granger Snape. He wanted to make sure that he knew as much on the topic as possible. The subject matter was actually quite interesting, as medicinal potions tended to rely almost entirely on herbology for ingredients. If it wasn't for the looming specter of Professor Snape, there were times Neville thought that potions could be his second favorite class. There was something fascinating about the process that took Neville's plants and transformed their innate properties into tangible results. His concentration was so complete that he didn't notice when Colin Creevy left a game of exploding snap with some of his year mates. It sat down beside Neville on the couch. Hey, Hermione, can I ask you something? Hermione looked up from her ancient runes book and smiled at the fifth year in front of her who was nervously flicking a small lever on his ever-present camera back and forth. Colin, who had over the years lost some of his boundless enthusiasm, but he had still retained some of that wide-eyed awe that had first marked him as a first-year when it came to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. At least now, five years later, Colin could talk to Harry without getting tongue-tied. "'Ask away, Colin.' Colin shuffled his feet a bit, digging the toe of one shoe into the carpet. "'I was talking to Neville earlier.' "'I wanted to know if he could tell me "'what he has been doing to get better grades of potions. "'Rumor has it that Professor Snape "'even gave Neville points in class.' "'Colin grimaced. "'I'm not doing so well, "'and my mom is going to kill me if I fail.' "'Colin gave an exaggerated shudder. "'All I could say is that it's a good thing "'that my mom is muggle and can't send howlers.' "'Colin gave Hermione a nervous smile. "'Anyway, Neville said that you'd been helping him, "'but he wouldn't tell me how.' He said I had to come ask Professor Granger Snape, but he wouldn't explain what he meant by that. So can you help me the way you've helped Neville? Could she help Colin? Hermione didn't know. She'd really never thought about helping anyone else in potions. She was intimately familiar with Neville's problems. She wasn't sure what was calling causing Colin's issues. Sensing Hermione starting to waver, Colin pulled out all the stops to turn his saddest expression on her, all big eyes and woeful expressions. Please, Hermione. Well, she thought, Snort's goal had been Neville and Dunderheads in general. All right, Colin, we'll give it a try. Meet Neville after dinner. He'll bring you up to the room of requirement. That's where we're meeting. Bring your current Homer for potions and the syllabus you guys are using. I'll need to find out where in the curriculum your class is. Oh, bring your potions kit. You'll need that, too. "'And Colin?' she paused, making sure she had his full attention. "'There is nothing secret about my helping Neville. "'However, you might not want to spread around the way in which I'm helping. "'There is a high probability of Professor Snape "'putting Gryffindor's house points down into negative numbers "'if he were to hear about what exactly is going on.' "'Feeling a bit nervous about exactly what he was getting into,' Colin nodded. "'At least Hermione wasn't requiring him to sign anything. "'After seeing what she'd done to Maria Hedgecombe, Colin never wanted to cross Hermione. Hermione suddenly smiled, lifting the serious atmosphere that had developed. Okay, make sure you come with Neville and bring your things, and we'll see what we can do. Knowing a dismissal when he heard one, Colin headed up to his room to gather up the things she had requested. She had had big brown eyes. Severus needed sleep. The pull of it was a siren song that flirted with the seductive promise along the edges of his senses. However, like any true siren, the offered promise of bliss turned to horror whenever he closed his eyes. Wet with tears and lit with terror, her eyes had pleaded with him to save her. The events of the night's revel still clung to him with cold, ghostly fingers. The Dark Lord wanted a message sent that the Resistance would not be tolerated. To that end, two families have been targeted. Two families whose crime consisted of muggle blood within the last three generations and open opposition to the Dark Lord. Their deaths tonight would send a wave of fear through the entire wizarding world. After tonight, even more wizards and witches would bow down before Lord Voldemort, if only to ensure the safety of their families. Truly, there was no lonelier place to be than having only the killers of your family around you he learned a long time ago to shut away these nights for his own sanity, but sometimes the emotions were more difficult to lock away. Until he could no longer hear the screams or taste the ashes in the back of his throat, sleep wasn't an option for him this night. He hadn't saved her, couldn't save her, wasn't even sure he could save himself anymore. He had discovered that even the strongest dreamless sleep potion was no longer a match for the horror that lurked in the deepest recesses of his mind. He was also already dangerously close to becoming addicted to the sweet oblivion offered by the potion. His back was already bowed beneath the weight of both Dark Lord and Elvis. He didn't think he could support another monkey, as he had heard muggles call it. She hadn't begged, just looked at him, expecting more from him than he could give. He felt like he was trying to walk the thin edge of a razor. On one side, the Dark Lord was pulling him down while on the other side, suspicious Order members were expecting him to topple any minute and were relishing in that fact, so they could then point with heads held high in smug arrogance that they had never trusted him in the first place. And all the while, the razor's edge cut deeply into the bare soles of his feet with every step. Severus snorted in self-mockery at the lurid imagery. He really did need sleep if he was turning this morbidly poetic. He was just so damn tired. Looking for respite, something to calm the roiling cauldron of his own emotions, he had left his quarters to walk the corridors, hoping that once again the peace and quiet of empty, shadowed hallways would calm him down. Hours later, with false dawn breaking, he was just finding his equilibrium again, the screams of the nameless girl fading away into the peace of the castle. She just looked at him with big, brown, wet eyes. Wet with tears. By the time the students were up and roaming the hallways, he'd once again have mastery over himself and his emotions. He'd just needed a little more time, and maybe a headache potion, to be able to face this day. Hermione woke early, the gray of almost dawn just beginning to light her windows. Humming with youthful energy, she decided to get a little extra reading done in the library before breakfast. She had found that in the early morning hours, the library was inevitably deserted, Not even Madame Pince would be in yet. With its huge, east-facing windows allowing her to watch the sunrise, the library had quickly become one of her favorite places to begin the day. Knowing she would have to hurry if she wanted to see the sunrise, Hermione rolled out from under her covers, dislodging a slumbering crookshanks who gave an affronted meow before he crawled back under the covers, into the warmth that Hermione had just vacated. Gathering up her toiletry items, she hurried to the prefect's bath. Once again, noting her time, she performed a quick bath before pulling on her school uniform. Glancing at her hair in the mirror, she gave it up as a lost cause and pulled the mass of curls up into a messy ponytail. Morning routine complete, Hermione grabbed her backpack and headed out of Gryffindor Tower. She smiled when she saw Professor Snape coming towards her down the corridor that housed the library. She even felt a small bubble of genuine warmth toward the dark man, stalking determinedly in her direction. In an odd way, she had begun to think of him as hers, or at least her responsibility, a mental daydream with which she amused herself that followed along the lines of Androcules and the lion. Professor Snape made a particularly fierce black-maned lion in her daydreams, with Neville as his personal thorn in his paw. Happy daydream of a suitably grateful Professor Snape in mind, she smiled widely at her professor as he drew even with her and offered him a cheery good morning. She was completely unprepared and defenseless against the reaction her words unleashed. Hermione was almost even with the potions master when he stepped to his side, directly in front of her. Stumbling to a halt so as to not run into him from his unexpected move, Hermione looked up in confusion. What she saw in his face made Hermione take a step backwards in fright, while her hand inched toward the robe pocket that held her wand. The professor followed her for that small step, his eyes black slits of rage. Most frightening of all was the silence with which Professor Snape stalked her, forcing her relentlessly backwards until she felt the cold stone of the castle meet her back. Still he said nothing. No cutting remarks. No points deduction or detentions. Trembling, Hermione had never been more scared in her life. The fact that she didn't understand what had set him off only adding to her fear. The man pinning her to the wall with nothing more than his presence was nothing like anything she'd ever seen. Tears, beyond her control. Welled up in her eyes, it fell in silent tracks down her cheeks. But Hermione didn't lower her eyes. Some instinct of self-preservation screaming at her that to show submission now would invite something she didn't even want to contemplate. Eyes that were anything but their usual cold black stared back at her. Do you think me stupid, Miss Granger? Hermione shuddered at that softly voiced question, all the more terrifying for its lack of heat or anger. Unable to find her voice, Hermione shook her head from side to side. He took another half-step towards her, still not close enough to touch, but enough to send her already racing heart into a pounding frenzy. Do you think me blind, then? He took another half-step towards her, continuing in that same soft voice. Do you think a pleasant greeting is going to make any difference? That the evil loose in the world is going to give you a cherry wave if you just wave first? Let me disabuse of that infantile notion. You are hereby welcome to rejoin your addle-witted compatriots in running from me in fear. I do not know what kind of game you think you are playing, but I can assure you that if I did not fall to Potter Sr. and his friends, I will not be made a fool by you and your friends now. Hermione couldn't think, could only shake her head back and forth. She wasn't. She wouldn't. Seeing a great shudder run through his body, she froze, her breath caught in her lungs. Run, he rasped out. Run. Hermione ran. Behind her she heard the sound of something hitting the wall. The girl, thrice damned, happy Gryffindor girl, no one had the right to be happy, no one when he wasn't even sure of the words he spoke. His suspicions and fears, past and present, all jumbling together. He knew only of his shattered, hard-won equilibrium, and the all-consuming rage that swept through him. How dare she? How dare she be happy and safe and secure? Miss Granger, who was changing the habits of six long years for no apparent reason. Miss Hermione Granger, who was planning something, setting him up for something more humiliation, more taunting. Hermione Granger, who had big brown eyes. Eyes that stared up at him, lashes darkened, cheeks wet with silent tears. Oh, sweet Merlin. Run, he rasped out. Run. He hit the wall a mere seconds later. Hermione ran, the doors to the library suddenly appearing on her right. Hitting them at full tilt, the heavy doors swung back to crack loudly against the walls. She paid no attention, her only thoughts to run and hide. Winding deeper into the tall stacks, Hermione sought to hide herself among the books, darting down little used aisles until she was far into the maze created by the shelves. Only then did she drop to the ground, her breath coming in great sobbing gasps as she tried to make sense of what had just happened. She was still shaking when she finally made it down to the Great Hall for breakfast, thankful that she had had at least had some time to gather her composure. "'Hermione, are you all right?' Hermione turned to give Ron a small smile, but that affirmation didn't seem to sway him from his scrutiny. While Ron could be as clueless and self-absorbed as any teenager— his molly Jean seemed to pop up at the most inopportune moments. Right now, she was in no shape to deal with a solicitous Weasley. Brightening her smile, she hid her still shaking hands in her lap. Really, Ron, I'm fine. Just one of those mornings when everything seems a little off. That seemed to reassure him. Hermione caught him sending her odd glances throughout breakfast. Professor Snape, she noticed, never appeared at breakfast, for which she was thankful. She was unsure whether she could face him so soon after... after that. Hermione shuddered as the memory of his face rose up in front of her. If the eyes really were the windows to the soul, Professor Snape lived in his own personal hell. The sound of wings roused her from her thoughts, and Hermione spared a small, genuine smile for the brown, speckled owl that landed in front of her. She didn't think that the concept of owl mail would ever get old for her. Tucking the required nuts into the bird's neck pouch, Hermione took the offered daily profit. Opening the paper, she gasped aloud at the picture spread across the top half. A modest house burned with flickering black and white flames, while the dark mark hovered in the air above. What's wrong? Hermione looked up to me in Harry's gaze. She debated for a moment, before she answered his question by holding out the paper. Spreading it out on the table, Harry stared at the picture, his face grim while Ron read over his shoulder in a hushed tone. Sources say the Death Eater attack occurred on the Whitmore family sometime between midnight and 2 a.m. in the town of Harrogate, outside of Leeds. The Whitmores, a prominent mixed-blood family, were strong opponents of you-know-who. Ministry horrors continue to investigate. The dead include Mr. John Whitmore Sr., Mr. and Mrs. John Whitmore Jr., and their eight-year-old daughter, Anna Whitmore. Ron stopped reading as Harry crumpled up the paper into a tight ball and stood his body almost vibrating with anger. Harry? Hermione questioned softly. Later, the boy who lived snapped. Right now, just leave me alone. Respecting Harry's wishes, Ron and Hermione watched Harry walk out of the great hall. While all around him, students whispered and looked his way. He's hiding something, the redhead beside her said. Eyes still on Harry's retreating back, Hermione asked. What makes you think that? She caught Ron's shrug out of the corner of her eye. Don't know, really. Something's eating at him, though. Something bad. Ron glanced around him to make sure no one was listening to him. Lowering his voice even more, he added, He's been reading a book lately. It looks like something from the restricted section, and I don't know how he got it. He stole a book? Hermione hissed in shock, her voice rising. Ron rolled his eyes in exasperation. Priorities, Hermione. Focus and keep your voice down. Swiping the book isn't important. The book itself is important. It's a book on the unforgivables, with emphasis on the killing curse. Maybe we need one of those muggle intermissions. Hermione looked confused for a moment before she understood what Ron was saying. Not intermission, intervention. Hermione turned thoughtful eyes back towards the direction Harry had taken. That might not be a bad idea at all. A yell and a pounding fist on wood shattered the quiet dormitory. Hermione! Hermione Granger! Hermione rolled out of her bed, wand in hand, feet set in a defensive stance before she'd even completely opened and focused her eyes. Whatever her sleep-fogged brain was expecting, a trembling first-year standing in her open doorway in flannel pajamas with kittens on them wasn't it. Blinking at the girl for a moment, she fought to remember the girl's name. She was saved from her memory loss as Lavender stuck her head out from her bed curtains. Lucy, what's going on? Lucy shifted her weight from one foot to the other in impatience. My roommate, Gemma. Gemma Stewart. She's sick. Sick bad. She's throwing up blood. Mina, she's my other roommate. She said we needed to get her to the infirmary, but it's past curfew. Lucy's gaze swung back to Hermione. She said to get you, because you're a prefect. Now that she understood the problem, Hermione's practical nature kicked in dispelling the last remnants of sleep. Throwing on her black school robe over her thin cotton nightgown, Hermione headed towards the door. Lavender, she said as she got to the doorway, can you go wake up Professor McGonagall? She'll want to know. I'll collect Miss Stewart and get her down to Madame Pomfrey. Professor McGonagall can meet us there. Hurrying down the curving stairs that led to the first-year rooms, Hermione entered to find Gemma Stewart curled up in a tight ball. Her arms wrapped tight around her stomach. Hermione dropped to a crouch beside the girl's bed, while her two roommates stood shuffling their feet nervously behind her. Reaching out, Hermione put her hand on the girl's forehead. From the heat coming off of her, her sweat-soaked hair and glassy eyes, Hermione decided against getting her up and walking her down to the infirmary. Sitting back on her heels, she pulled her wand. Gathering her concentration, she waved her wand and intoned, Mobley Corpus, taking care that her pronunciation and wand movements were correct. She'd never actually performed this spell, so she let out a breath of relief as Gemma Stewart rose smoothly up into the air to hover a foot or so above the bedsheets. Motioning for Lucy to open the door, Hermione floated the semi-conscious girl out the door. Maneuvering Miss Stewart along the staircase and through the darkened common room, Hermione felt the pull on her magic before she'd even gone a few steps through the portrait door. Holding the spell and concentration needed to keep Miss Stewart level and moving was harder than she'd realized— Gritting her teeth in determination, she quickened her pace. She was halfway down the hallway, when she realized with a sickening dismay that she should have thought to grab a blanket to cover the younger girl. A trip through the icy corridors of Hogwarts wasn't going to help the shivers racking the child's body. And it was cold, as Hermione's own bare feet could attest to, as in her hurry she had run out without her slippers. No help for it, she muttered. As one-handed, she unbuttoned her own robe before tossing it over Miss Stewart. The girl was her responsibility, and, if necessary, Hermione could live with cold toes. Murmuring soothing words to the other girl, Hermione continued as quickly as possible toward the infirmary, Miss Stewart's floating body slowly dripping down further to the floor as Hermione's own magic started to flag under the strain. She wasn't used to doing magic that required her to hold the power required for the spell for such a length of time. "'Let me guess,' a disembodied voice said. "'There was a book you just had to have from the library.' Hermione jumped, letting out a startled shriek as Professor Snape stepped out of the shadows of a side passageway. In her fright, she barely managed to control the mobile Corpus spell holding Miss Stewart aloft. Twenty points, Miss Granger, for wandering the halls after—' He stopped as he caught sight of the girl floating slightly behind Hermione. The black school robe tossed over her, blending her into the shadows of the hallway. Stepping around her, he approached Miss Stewart, the backs of two fingers coming to rest on the girl's feverish skin. Hermione, her last encounter with this man, still fresh in her mind, backed slowly away from him. He had scared her badly, and she was notably wary of him now. "'What happened?' he snapped. Hermione jumped slightly. "'Her roommate's woke me up, sir,' Hermione said, as the professor continued his quick check of Miss Stewart's vitals. "'She's running a temperature, sweating, and her roommate said she was throwing up blood earlier. "'When I got to her room, she was like she is now, half awake, but not really responding.' "'Pulling out his own wand, Professor Snape demanded, "'Release the spell to me before you have her dragging along the floor. "'Then run ahead to the infirmary and tell Madame Pomfrey we're on our way. "'Raising her wand, Hermione felt a wash of relief "'as her professor seamlessly took over the Mobili Corpus spell. "'Miss Stewart's floating body instantly rising back up from her sagging position "'to straighten out into a firm, horizontal line. "'Feeling the magical strain lift from her, "'Hermione was reminded of what he'd told her about magic affinity. "'Even under these circumstances,' With her stomach tied in knots from being this close to him, she couldn't help but marvel at the smooth transition of control from her magic to his, or completely suppress a shiver. As for a brief second, she touched his magic with her senses, magic that was deep and dark and brought images of the ocean at night to Hermione's mind. Shaking her head to disperse the images, she spun around to take off running when, Stop! in a voice that was not to be disobeyed halted her in her tracks snape was looking at her with an expression of disbelief where are your robe and shoes miss granger he demanded she cringed at both the words and his expression i forgot my shoes in my haste to check on miss stewart sir she gestured back at the floating girl I forgot to grab a blanket and she was shivering i figured she needed my robe more than i did five points for not having more common sense girl it's the beginning of april in scotland Hermione struggled against the brash words that wanted to spill forth. Regardless of how nervous he now made her. How dare he take away points for trying to take care of someone else? Working herself up to a right snit, she was completely gobsmacked when Professor Snape reached up and undid the clasp of his teaching robe, shrugging out of it, and then holding the heavy fabric out to her. Scowling, as she stared back at him in shock, he thrust the robe into her arms. Quit standing there like a daft ninny. Go rouse Miss Madame Pomfrey. Jerking under the snap of his words, Hermione threw the robe over her shoulders, covering the thin nightdress she was wearing. Gathered up the excess length of robe in her hands, she gave a quick nod of thanks to Professor Snape and took off at a near run towards the infirmary. When she arrived, she was relieved that Professor McGonagall was already there with Madame Pomfrey, both women looking much like Hermione felt, having been pulled from a sound sleep with no time to make themselves presentable. Professor McGonagall was even wearing a tartan dressing gown, "'with her iron-streaked hair loose around her shoulders "'rather than her customary teaching robes and tightly controlled hair bun. "'Both women turned to her as she entered the infirmary. "'Miss Granger, Miss Brown said you were bringing in a sick first-year.' "'Planting slightly from her run through the school corridors, "'Hermione explained between breaths. "'Yes, Professor. I ran into Professor Snape. "'He's bringing her. He told me to come ahead and warn Madame Pomfrey.' "'A few moments later, just as Hermione's breath and heartbeat "'were settling back down to normal levels,' Professor Snape appeared. All attention within the room immediately shifted to the ill student. Forgotten for the moment by the adults, Hermione retreated, sitting down in one of the wooden chairs that rested against the far wall. She knew she should return to the Gryffindor dormitory, but she wanted to take an update to Miss Stewart's friends when she went. Drawing her legs up, she wrapped Professor Snape's teaching robes around her, tucking the thick fabric under her frozen toes. "'Oh, yes, warmth. It was good to be warm.' Resting her arms on her upraised knees, her hands tucked into the voluminous sleeves, Hermione buried her nose into her crossed arms. Breathing deeply, she noticed the scents of sandalwood and honeyed beeswax that clung to the fabric. It was a warm, comforting scent, rather at odds, she thought, with the man himself. Staring across the room at the flurry of activity around Miss Stewart's bed, she pondered her potions, Professor, as he listened intently to the potions that Madame Pomfrey was requesting. With a small nod, he was gone. Hermione supposed to his own stores to gather the requested potions. He'd looked odd to her eyes until she'd realized that he'd departed without his usual swirl of black robes trailing behind him. Hermione quirked a small, hidden smile at that thought. It was hard to flare those robes when she was currently wrapped up in them. His robes. She scrunched her toes up in the warm wool. He'd given her his robes. If someone had asked her yesterday if Professor Snape, under any circumstances, would ever voluntarily give up his robes to a student, she would have answered with an emphatic no. And yet, here she was, wrapped up in yards of black wool. A Professor Snape who gave her his robes didn't make any sense when compared to the madman who had scared her badly outside the library. Remembering the desolate sound of his voice when he told her to run, Hermione suspected that Professor Snape had even scared himself. So why give her the robe? When Professor Snape returned a few moments later with two flasks in his hands, Hermione frowned as she studied him, for once not having to worry about attracting his attention, since he was focused on helping Madame Pomfrey with Miss Stewart. Working diligently to help a student, a Gryffindor student at that, that shouldn't be any surprise to her. When it came down to it, he'd always done what he could to protect the school and its students, regardless of house affiliation. Just look at her, Harry and Ron, "'and the number of times that Professor Snape had come to their rescue. "'He just did it in a way that no one would recognize his involvement. "'He was ever the consummate Slytherin.' "'Hermione absently rubbed a bit of the robe edge between her fingers. "'There was a thought there, flirting around the edges of her consciousness. "'The Professor did care about the students, "'regardless of how it looked on the surface. "'He was the consummate Slytherin. "'He'd scared her and knew it. "'Professor Snape would never apologize to anyone, "'especially not a student.' "'Consummate Slytherin. He'd given her his robes. Protection. Never apologize. But—oh. He wouldn't, or maybe even couldn't, apologize outright. But he could offer an apology of sorts. Hermione buried her nose back into the fabric stretched across her knees. He'd given her his robes. He wasn't exactly saying that he was sorry for scaring the daylights out of her, but it was close enough in a Slytherin sort of way. Then again, she could be completely delusional, and he would have given her the robe anyway since she was running round a cold castle barefoot in her nightgown. Regardless of the books she was reading on them, trying to figure out Slytherins was a murky business at best. And while she was thinking of robes, she didn't remember ever seeing the man without his encompassing teaching robes before. She had known that he was tall and lean, but the man standing across the room from her now was beyond lean. He was painfully thin with the sharp blades of his shoulders making knife-edged projections against the back of his frock coat. It worried her that the apparently immaculately tailored clothes were hanging so loosely on his rangy frame, something that a casual observer wouldn't normally see because of the heavy teaching robes that usually swathed his body. The gauntness that she was seeing made her think about how often she had seen him pick at his food lately. She cast her glance back to Professor McGonagall and Madame Pomfrey. Couldn't they see what she did? Was she the only one to notice his lackluster eating habits as of late? Why wasn't he eating? Stress? An ulcer? Something else? Which led her to wonder what Professor Snape had been doing up anyway, pushing her arm from within the enveloping sleeves of her robe. Mindy checked the time. It was almost 3.30 in the morning. No teacher had hall duty that late. No student in his or her right mind would be up wandering around at this hour anyway. And yet, Professor Snape had been patrolling, or at least he'd been walking the hallways of the school. Again, she was left with the question of why. She'd always discounted the stories of Professor Snape's insomnia as student exaggeration, or Hogwarts legend. Maybe those stories shouldn't have been discounted so easily. If the professor really weren't sleeping, it would explain a lot. From the dark circles that bruised his eyes on occasion, to the hair-trigger temper that left students feeling flayed alive. He'd been up early, or possibly late when she'd run into him outside the library as well. Was it all tied together? Lost in contemplation, Hermione missed Professor McGonagall taking note of her presence until the older teacher stepped into Hermione's light of sight, effectively blocking her view of the potion's master and witch. "'Miss Granger, what are you still doing here?' "'You should be in bed,' the professor scolded. Hermione lifted herself from her curled position and stifled a small yawn. "'I'm sorry, Professor.' I just wanted to get an update about Miss Stewart before heading back. I'm sure her roommates will want to know she's doing okay. Professor Snape chose that moment to walk over. Hermione's robe folded neatly over his arm. You could tell Miss Stewart's roommates that she is well, but will be remaining in the infirmary for the next couple of days. Deciding to test her theory of robe as apology, Hermione stood up, letting the professor's robe hang loosely on her smaller frame. Reaching up, she rested her hands on the clasp. Thank you for lending me your robe earlier, sir. It was most kind. Kindness had very little to do with the situation. My reputation may incite fear into the student body at large, but I could not allow you to freeze to death. Choosing her next with great care, Hermione said, I've never believed you would allow me to come to harm. Keeping her eyes locked with his, she added, You deserve every courtesy and thanks. There, she could be talking about thanking him for his robe or the greeting that set him off the other morning. Professor Snape stared back at her, dark eyes revealing nothing of his thoughts. As the silence between them increased, Hermione's nervousness rose. Had she said it wrong, perhaps those conversations within conversations were a skill best left to Slytherins. Had she given the wrong message? Professor McGonagall, growing uncomfortable at the cryptic conversation between professor and student, stepped into the awkward silence. Taking hold of Hermione's robe, she held it out, her other hand extended to take Professor Snape's robe with a feeling of frustration, Hermione made the exchange, sliding her arms into her own robe, blushing in embarrassment as Professor McGonagall scolded her on her bare feet before transfiguring her some warm slippers. "'Come, Miss Granger,' McGonagall said. "'I'll escort you back to the dormitory.' Hermione turned to tell Professor Snape good night, but the man had already returned to Madame Pomfrey's side. Within nothing else to do, and an impatient head of house waiting on her, Hermione hurried out. Hermione took a deep breath, held it for the count of three, and slowly exhaled. She could do this. Another calming breath. Hold for three. Exhale. She would do this. As the saying goes, you have to get back up on the horse that threw you, or you'd never ride again. She started walking, her steps slow and measured. She wasn't hurrying, nor was she dawdling along. She told him that she wasn't afraid of him. Time to prove it. Hopefully he'd gotten the message and didn't still think she was mocking him or trying to set him up for something. Four steps. Three steps. Two steps. One. Good afternoon, Professor Snape. This time, after a short pause, he inclined his head a fraction of an inch in acknowledgement as they passed. Behind him, he didn't see Hermione break into the patented Neville dance step of jump, spin, and wiggle. Later that night, Hermione reached into the top drawer of her nightstand, pulled out her notebook. A quick wand wave later and snort was revealed. Flipping through the pages, Hermione reread some of her notations. Like any good researcher, she always kept notes on her progress to date. Neville was making slow but steady improvement. He seemed less jumpy around Professor Snape, although he still had problems when it came to brewing. Colin, well, it was too early to tell about him. She, unfortunately, was having a particularly difficult time when it came to her incessant wand-waving, as Professor Snape called it. She hated the silence that filled the classroom when he asked a question, and no one else knew the answer. The frustrating part of it all was that she wasn't even sure the professor had noticed her attempts to conform to his classroom expectations. Her attempts at treating him with the friendly respect afforded the other teachers was meeting with mixed success. He'd nodded to her this afternoon but the frightening encounter in the library hallway was still fresh in her mind. However, even that confrontation, she was now counting as a step forward. It had been obvious from the hateful words he'd hurled at her that he'd noticed that she had begun treating him differently. The fact that her friendly attitude had only served to confuse him and rouse his suspicious nature couldn't be helped. Their non-conversation in the infirmary seemed to have made some progress with them, though. By returning her greetings, rather than being scared off, She was hoping she was reinforcing the message that she was not trying to set him up for some unnamed humiliation, but chose to greet him with honest sincerity. And with that goal in mind, Hermione had made a note within her journal that overall, Professor Snape was not a morning person. Truth be told, he didn't seem to be an afternoon or evening person either, but she was more apt to get a response to her greetings then. He absolutely refused to acknowledge her in the mornings beyond silent snarls. She decided to tailor her own greetings accordingly, from now on only giving him a small smile with a nod of her head and acknowledgement if she met him before noon. Hermione thumbed through the pages until she got back to the title page. She had two more bullet items to add to Snort's agenda, two new points that were a lot more worrisome than the previous ones. Seeing Professor Snape without his camouflaging robes had really concerned her. The man wasn't taking care of himself. Although she had absolutely no clue how to approach that particular problem, she felt compelled to try. So with the sense of turning an irrevocable corner, Hermione wrote, Insomnia and health slash eating habits.